Amen. Where our children can slide out to Transformation Station. My name is John Chasteen. I serve as one of the pastors here and just want to welcome you. We're glad you're here to worship with us today. Hey, if you're new with us today, um, you probably received a worship guide on the way in. Let me encourage you, on the bottom there, there's a little section that says connect with RHC. If you'll just take a few minutes to fill that out, you can drop it in the basket later in the service. We'd love to follow up and acknowledge your visit and just thank you for worshiping with us. Well, today we wrap up our series on spending time. And we've looked at a number of things from managing our time to maximizing our time. The title for the sermon today is No Time for Rest? Question mark. And so as we think about this, I've been personally encouraged over the past few weeks. I've been challenged as we've talked about these things to think through what are the God-given roles in my life and how I'm supposed to take those roles, prioritize my time, and, and derive biblically-based, God-driven goals for each of these roles and then get that on my schedule. That my calendar, my schedule, how I spend time ought to be a reflection of my roles and my goals derived from those in life. But if you're like me, my guess is that you've been confronted with the tension that there's only so many hours in a day, so many hours in a week. As you start thinking about maximizing time, for me, there have actually been some things I've been adding to my task list, to my to-do list, and, and to sit back and, and almost feel overwhelmed at all of this stuff that I feel like God is leading me to do. Added to this, we're supposed to sleep at some time, right? I mean, I can't just keep plowing through task after task. Do you realize... I don't know if you've sat back and reflected on this. If you get the recommended, let's just say, eight hours of sleep a night for your entire life, you'll basically sleep a third of your life. Such a waste, right? I've wrestled with that tension this week because in light of that inevitability, I know I'm tempted to shortcut sleep. Anybody else in here? Just go pop a five-hour energy drink, right? I'm going to short-circuit something that's been built into my life. What about this? Anybody familiar with the slogan from Caribou Coffee? Second largest uh, coffee uh, franchise in America. Their slogan is this, life is short, stay awake for it. It's short. So in other words, go grab you another espresso or another coffee so that you can plow through and maximize the time that God's given you in life. Yet on the other hand, the Center for Disease and Control in the U.S. has labeled insufficient sleep as a public health problem. Saying this, it's linked to motor vehicle crashes, industrial disasters, and medical and other occupational errors. They continue. Persons experiencing sleep insufficiency 
are also more likely to suffer from chronic diseases such as hypertension, diabetes, depression, obesity, as well as from cancer, increased mortality, and reduced quality of life and productivity. Sounds like sleep isn't just something that we should find some shortcuts to get around, but that we should, we should think strategically. Maybe we should ask this, hey God, do you have anything to say on how we should think about managing and maximizing our time and finding sleep and rest? Well, this is what we're going to look at today. In the first half of our time, what, what we're going to do is we're going to get a high 30,000 feet view of Scripture. We're actually going to cover Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible today. And, and, and the key text is Matthew. We'll get there eventually. But what I want us to come and say is, God, would you teach us to rightly understand what is this story of rest that we see running all through Scripture? And so we're going to get a right understanding and perspective from the Word there. And then we're, the last half of our time, man, extremely practical. We're going to now say, okay, this is God's story of rest. What implications does this have on me? And how do I fit in God's story and what's going on. So let's start in this first half. And in this first half, we're going to be looking to understand the story of God's rest. And here's how we're going to do this. We're going to walk through what I'm going to call the six-act drama of Scripture. You see, the Word here is not just a, a book of, of rules and to-dos and not-to-dos. Man, this is a story. In the beginning, Genesis 1 starts in the beginning, and then you go to Revelation and there's an end. There's a beginning, there's an end. It's not just a list of do this and do that. It's the story that God is writing. And so we're going we're gonna to run rest and sleep through this story and ask God to teach us. And so let's go to Act 1 of the story, Creation. Just to jog your memory, and, and this first half here, I'm, I'm going to throw a number of these references on the screen up here because I know we're going to be looking at a, a few different ones. The very first book of the Bible is, the, is, is Genesis. And when we go there, we see Genesis is describing in seven days, God creating all things that exist. And so, for instance, you could go and see, and God created, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And it says, the first day morning and evening. And then you go to the second day and you see what God created. And it says, and there was morning and there was evening the second day. And you go all the way on. When you get to the sixth day, it's as if this is the, the, the high point of creation. It's the creation of man and woman. They were created, we were created in the image of God to know him, to love him, to worship him. And then we go to day seven. Now, what I want to read for us is day seven in Genesis chapter two, beginning in verse one. And here's what I want to argue. Though day six is kind of the climax of his creation, day seven is really where those first six days find their real significance. And so in Genesis chapter two, verse one, the word of God says this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested 
from all his work that he had done in creation. The seventh day is celebrating the perfect completion of creation with God, not inactive, but resting. And and you see this word resting show up a number of times here. By resting, here's what's happening here. God's not taking a nap, okay? God is ceasing from his works of creation accomplished in the first six days so that he can sit down and reign over his creation and for the good of his people. This is astounding. Check this out. God hasn't just created this earth and placed people in it. He's created this earth. He's placed people in it. And now he is dwelling in it. You see, the people of God in the place of God with the presence of God. Now, there's two very important observations that I want you to see here. First, if we were to go back and read all of chapter 1, as I mentioned earlier, we would see day 1, day 2, day 3, and they would all end. And there was evening and there was morning. It's completely absent from day 7. There's no mention here at the end of day 7 that there was evening and there was morning. Why? One author suggests that this points to the infinitive perspective of God's rest. You see, the seventh day is presented as unending and ongoing throughout human history. But there's a second observation. Do you see man, humans, anywhere in day seven? We're completely absent. You go from day six and, the, and like the climax of creation to day seven, and it's all about God resting. What were Adam and Eve doing? Have you ever considered that? This is significant because here's what's happened. The text has assumed that by default, humans enter into God's divine rest. If God is resting from his creation to reign and rule for the good of his people, will we by default just naturally go into day seven and enjoy with the presence of God that eternal rest? Another author therefore concludes, Karl Barth, he says this, the goal of creation and at the same time the beginning of all that follows is the event of God's Sabbath freedom, Sabbath rest, and Sabbath joy, in which man too has been summoned to participate. Think about this. You were created to enter into and enjoy the rest of God. And in his rest, everything is perfect. It is shalom. It is peace. There is no sin. There is no laborious toil. There is no death. Spiritual, physical, social flourishing. Look at our world today. This isn't what it was intended to be. In the rest of God, life flourished. This is what it means to be home.
to be with God and to be resting with him. But you know what the story of the human race is? It is not one of being home with God. It's one of exile. It's one of longing for a homecoming to be what we were created to be. Why is that the story? Let's go to Act 2. Act 2 is the fall. It begins in Genesis 3. Many of you probably know the story well. God places Adam and Eve in the garden. He tells them you can eat of all the trees, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Enjoy my rest. Reign with me and my creation. Trust me. I'll tell you this is good and this is not good. They rebelled. They rebelled against God, against his command. And as a result, the blessing of God's rest is lost along with the peace and shalom that it offered. Death and disease have distorted God's physical creation. Our society now is fulfilled, and, 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 and you see it everywhere. It's filled with selfishness, self-exaltation, and pride. Additionally, exploitation and violence mar and ruin human community. We are not home. Adam and Eve are exiled out of the garden, and now they face God's curse. Genesis 3, the, one of the curses that God gives as a result of their disobedience is this. I'm going to start reading in verse 17. And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. The curse on the ground introduces a new phase of human work and it's characterized by painful toil and futility. When we talk about managing and maximizing time, a lot of it is what we're doing. It's, it's you have this tension of work and rest. And now because of the fall, look, before the fall there was work, but as a result of the fall, you've got thorns and you've got thistles and work is on increasingly frustrating for all of us. Now, at its best, work is bittersweet. Sin has left all of us restless. But there is a way to return again to God's, to God's rest. Check this out. Curse, painful toil, and exile are not the end of the story. There is a way to be brought home, to be restored and healed, to overcome death and disease, and to once again enjoy the rest of God. Even in the very beginning, Act 2, the fall, we see promises that death and curse and exile aren't the end. God promises, even in the midst of this rebellion, to bring a great reversal of the effects of the fall to bring us home, to enjoy his eternal rest and shalom. His promise suggests that this is going to happen through an individual. It's going to be the offspring of a woman. 
The great hope which drives the rest of this story is that God is going to provide an offspring of the woman who is going to, all of this rest that has been lost is now going to be reversed and it's going to be through a person. We even see hints in Genesis 3 that not only through a person, but through a sacrifice. Eventually, this story, as you know, culminates in the coming of Jesus Christ. But that would be to get ahead of ourselves. Act 3. We go from creation, we go to the fall. Act 3, Israel. Act 3 covers the rest of the Old Testament. From Genesis 4 all the way through Malachi. It's this story, intention of rest and God promising rest. Now, for your sake, you'll probably, don't say amen, but yes, I can't cover the whole Old Testament today, okay? I think you guys get that. I'd love to, to do that, though. We could sit down and do a study, but I, I want to highlight one, and it's shortly in Genesis, right after what we just read here. I want us to go to Genesis 5. In Genesis 5, there's this genealogy, the descendants from Adam, they end in Noah. And what happens here is that Noah is being presented as a foreshadow, as a type of, of this type of person that God was going to send to reverse what was lost in the fall. Look in Genesis 5, verse 28. The Word of God says this, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name, and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toll of our hands. Now, I'm going to give you a little insight here. Unless you've taken Hebrew, you wouldn't get this. But Noah's name, Noah, sounds like the word in Hebrew for rest. And so what's going on here is a play on words. Let me just go back and read this. He called his name Noah. And, and, and when you would have heard that, you would have heard rest, 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 echoing in your ears. Hey, this guy Noah with this echo of rest, he's going to be one that's going to bring us relief. We are all engaging in ongoing laborious work and toil, but God's providing one who's going to bring rest. And if you were to read the story of Noah, if we continued on, we would see that Noah's being presented not just as a righteous one. If you go back and read, Noah was righteous, and yet we know he was still fell short of God's ultimate perfection. He, he, he sinned as well. But he's also presented as one who offered a sacrifice. And so if you read through Genesis 5, 6, 7, 8, and go on, you're going to see that not only is God's rest going to be promised through an individual like Noah, somebody who would be righteous, but it's also going to be through someone who provides a sacrifice. And so this whole story of the Old Testament, after Noah, it passes on down to Abraham. And then you keep going on down to Isaac. 
and to Jacob. And we could keep tracing through the Old Testament this story of God providing a righteous person who would be a sacrifice and this tension of Israel. God chose Israel because it was going to be through Israel that he would provide this individual. And then you also see this tension of Israel longing and striving for rest. You just go read through, and you'll see when they entered into the promised land, it said in the promised land, that's where the presence of God was and the blessing of God was, and they had rest from their enemies. And so you see this theme, even through the Old Testament, that it's the place of God with the people of God and the presence of God, and that's where rest is found. And we all long for it. But you know at the end of the Old Testament, the story tells us? They end in exile, still longing for God's promised one to bring rest. And that leads us to Act 4 in this drama, in this story. In Act 4, we turn to Jesus. Now go with me to Matthew 11. I had to take you on that journey because it's really going to help us bring clarity as we look at Matthew 11 and hear these words of Jesus. I'll have them on the screen here in just a second. Jesus steps onto the scene. We know he lives a perfect life. He's the righteous one. And this is before he lays down his life as a sacrifice. And he says these words. These are an invitation for all of us. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you hear that? Come. Even now, God is using these words, and he's speaking to you, and he's pleading with you. Come. All you are are heavy laden, and you are weary. Come. And I will give you rest. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Jesus can invite us to him in order to find rest, because he is the bringer of this expected end-time person who is bringing about the rest of God. In other words, the great reversal of the fall, the total salvation from the very beginning that God had promised is now coming to culmination in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus left his home. The eternal Son of God, go to Philippians 2, became obedient. He humbled himself. And he came down and and took on the form of man. And he walked among us. He left his home. He was crucified outside of the gate as a sign of his exile and rejection. He experienced exile so that you and I could be brought home. Amen. 
That's good news. His resurrection reversed the effects of the fall by breaking the power of death and disease. And everyone, go back to these words, come to me all. Look, one of the values at Redemption Hill is that the gospel is for all. We want to be a church that we say is a thumbprint of Medford, which means if you live in Medford or greater Boston, the gospel is for you. The gospel invitation is for all. No matter your color, no matter how much you make, no matter how much you work or don't work, no matter how much you sleep or don't sleep, the invitation is for all. That's Act 4. And then we go to Act 5. Act 5 is the story of the church. This is where you and I live. I'm going to come back to that in the latter part of our time today. I'm going to jump forward to Act 6. Act 6 is the new creation. So just follow me. We've gone creation, the fall, Israel, Jesus comes. We're in this now. Jesus has gone. He's commissioned the church. Go make disciples. Go share this story of rest that I've bought. And Acts 6 is the consummation. Right now, we live with one foot in Acts 6 and one foot in the old world, Act 5. I'll explain that. Act 6, new creation. The ultimate goal of rest that was inaugurated and introduced in creation has now reached its appointed consummation. God has now made all things right. You go read Revelation and you'll see in Acts 6, there's a new heaven. There is a new earth. There is no more sin, no more disease, no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more death. Rest and perfect shalom. Physical, spiritual, and social flourishing. This is the gospel. And this to me is why Jesus makes the most sense. As I, as I look at religions of the world, Christianity to me offers the best explanation. We see a complete reversal of what was lost and God making all things right. There will be complete ecological transformation with nothing cursed anymore and social transformation. Look at these, this verse in Revelation 21 that says this in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The people of God in the place of God with the presence of God. And that's where there is complete rest and shalom. This is the story that's the end of the story, but it's the story that goes on and on and on and on and on, and it never ends. You were made for this, and if you believe and come to Jesus, you will forever live and enjoy the rest of God. That is the invitation of the gospel. But Acts 6 isn't here yet. So in one sense, I've got one foot 
in this new world. And I've got another foot that still wrestles with, you know what? We still wrestle with sin. And there's still laborious toil and work and weary and frustration. Is anybody there with me? Can I get an amen? So here's what I want to do in the last part of our time. We've looked at the story. Now I want to go back and zoom in on Act 5, the church, where we live. And I want us to find your place. You to find your place in the story of God's rest. And I've just got four challenges here that I want to offer you. And the first one is this. Enter into his rest. Get this if you don't get anything today. I'm going to give you some encouragements and tips on how to go sleep well tonight. But if you don't find rest in Jesus, no amount of sleep will cure your restlessness. This is what you were made for, and the invitation is clear for you today. Let me ask you this. Are you searching for rest and fulfillment? Have you been trying to earn God's favor, and you see yourself failing to measure up? Have you been searching for pleasure and satisfaction through all that this world can offer and you're just, man, I'm tired. I, don't, I haven't found it yet and I'm just tired of seeking another thing that's gonna provide pleasure and satisfaction. Do the ongoing effects of sin weigh on your soul? Sickness, cancer, death, brokenness, injustice, you name it. Are you at the end of your rope? Jesus says, Come to me. It's as simple as that. It's, it's an invitation for you to respond and to throw yourself on Jesus today and say, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I can't do it anymore. I'm not good enough. I, I don't have the energy to go pursue something else that TV is saying that I need that's going to satisfy me. I'm going to come to Jesus. That's what I did. The story, my story, is that I was exhausted from pursuing the pleasures of the world. And I finally gave up. And I gave myself to Jesus. And I believed, and I've now tasted, that when you do that, he provides rest for your soul. Augustine, many years ago, got it right when he said this. You, God, have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And this is the simple point of our sermon today is this. The restless find rest in Jesus. That's it. The restless Find rest in Jesus. The first way you respond to God's story is enter into his rest. You may be sitting there saying, what does that look like? What does it mean to come to him? It's as simple as this. It's to see him for who he says he is. That he came and lived a perfect life. His miracles are a picture that he came to reverse what was lost in the fall. 
And you see his perfect life. You see his death. He's the sacrifice. He's the Noah who initially was righteous and made a sacrifice. He's that promised one from Genesis 3 that God promised would be an offspring. And those hints of sacrifice in Genesis 3. He's that one who lays down his life. He's crucified on a tree outside of the city. He is exiled. And the cross, the message is, I'll take your sin. You come and take life. I'll take your sin and I'll give you life and rest and shalom. And you see that and then you believe that he rose from the dead, that he's not in the grave anymore, that death isn't the end of the story, that cursing isn't the end of the story, but flourishing in life. Jesus rose from the dead. You see him for who he is and you throw yourself on him. You believe. And you say, Lord, I need you. And I'm done working. I'm going to rest from my works. And I'm going to find rest in your works. Yesterday, we were in the car heading to an event, or maybe we were returning home. And um, many of you guys know we've got five kids right now. Um, four, and then we're fostering a fifth. And when you don't get sleep, do you know what happens to kids when they don't get sleep? You don't want to know. Um, there's nothing special about my kids. Um, when they don't get sleep, you don't want to be around them. Um, you know, it's, it's one of these type of like, okay, you know, you're, you're, God, give me grace, give me patience. Um, this right here, I cannot explain this to you. When, when we adopted Zoe two years ago, we bought her what we call a lammy. Um, it's a little lamb. It, you can snuggle up with it. It feels really soft. She doesn't want anything to do with lammy. This is what Zoe wants to sleep with. Yeah, it's a pillowcase. You guys see, I think I've got a picture here. Check this out right here. This is her. We were in the car yesterday. She is completely losing it. And when she, and she, when she loses it, it is like, Screaming times a hundred, flailing, you know, this thing. Um, Zoe, I love you, babe. I, I just want you to know, I, Jesus, come to Jesus. He provides rest, and um, I love her. You know, God's given us grace and patience to care for her. And we're, Zoe, we know she needs to sleep. Zoe, suck your thumb and just go to sleep. And she said this, I can't sleep without Smiley. This is Smiley. I, I have no idea why this is Smiley, but this, there are no Smiley faces on this, but this is Smiley. I thought about that. What would it take for us to get to the point where we say, I can't find rest without Jesus? That Jesus is so central to who we are. That he is necessary for all resting in life. You know, the beauty of coming to Jesus is that he doesn't just offer you rest for a day, for a Sunday, or for a Saturday. You come to him, he puts his spirit in you which is a foretaste of the life to come. 
And it's available Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's available every hour and day of the week. In fact, our entire Christian life should be a resting in God through Christ with his presence and peace quieting all of our fears and worries. That we would cry out 1 Peter 5. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's what it means to enter into his rest. Well, I've got to move on. Second, proclaim his rest. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. We'll probably hit it in, a, in, a, in another sermon coming up in our upcoming sermon series. But here's the reality. The, this story of rest is a story that the world is hungry to hear. So when you share the good news of Jesus, it speaks to those who are weary, who are heavy burdened, who are laden. It means stop your works and trust in the work of Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. And so we enter into his rest, and then we go tell our neighbors, who right now is in your sphere of influence that needs this message of rest? Will you pray for them today and go look for an opportunity to invite them with a Matthew 11 invitation to say, come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. Third, enter his rest, proclaim his rest, display his rest. Since rest isn't simply about sleeping, but an enjoyment of the perfect peace and rest of God, namely a reversal of the effects of the fall, we should display rest by engaging in social concern for justice. Check this. What are you going to do today that brings justice and mercy and offers healing and hope? This is true neighborly love. When you engage in social justice, you're pointing to Act 6. There's a day coming when there will be no more orphans. There's a day coming where there will be no more sex trafficking. There's a day coming where there will be no more poor and we will all feast at the table of God. You are pointing to say the gospel brings this. And so we enter to his rest, we proclaim his rest, and we spend our life saying, how do I not just sleep, but how do I do things that show the world that God is about bringing peace and shalom and rest? And then four, rightly order your life to get rest. This is probably the point of the sermon. You're like, man, can you just get there and talk about sleep? Well, I'm there, and we're going to finish here. Here's the deal. Since we're still waiting for the consummation of when Jesus returns, and we have this one foot in Acts 6 and one foot still wrestling in this world, our physical bodies still experience exhaustion, pain, suffering, and even death. And then additionally, because of the fall, we're going to be inclined to one of two things. Listen clearly here. We will be inclined either toward excessive rest displayed in slothfulness, laziness, and idleness, which means we're not maximizing and managing our time, or incessant and excessive work resulting 
in a lack of rest, exhaustion, and even sickness. So yes, the time has fully come, but the days are evil. That's why we're commanded still today to redeem the time. It has been redeemed. We're commanded to redeem it. Therefore, in addition to entering, proclaiming, and displaying rest, we should rightly order our lives with healthy rhythms of work, sleep, and rest. Think about this. If God wanted to, he could have created us with no need for sleep, couldn't he? Why did he do it? Two main reasons. Physical rest is a reminder that you aren't God. John Piper says this, sleep is like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. You are not God. You are contingent being. And then the second main reason Physical rest displays trust and dependence on God's gracious provision. Piper continues, God is not nearly so impressed with our late nights and early mornings as he is with the peaceful trust that casts all anxieties on him and sleeps. Could your lack of sleep be due to a lack of trust in God? You worry about all you didn't accomplish today and everything that's still on the task list for tomorrow. You worry about everything that's increasing in your life that you're responsible with and you would rather worry than rest in God. You're probably familiar with these, but I just would like to remind you there are many negative side effects to lack of sleep. Michael Hyatt, a great author on leadership, says this, cheating our sleep is like maxing out our credit cards. There's a benefit now, at least it feels like it, but the bill always comes due in the form of decreased health and mental ability. No one would choose to be sick and stupid, but depriving our bodies of sleep is the same thing. Robbing our sleep is robbing our productivity. If you continually practice lack of sleep, studies say it'll increase your chance of catching a cold. It increases the chances of diabetes and obesity. It results in moodiness and irritability, hence Zoe and Smiley. It invites unnecessary stress into your life, which contributes to depression, fatigue, weight gain, and high blood pressure. On the other hand, the positive effects of sleep are this. It keeps us sharp. It improves our ability to remember, learn, and grow. College students, you guys hear me? It refreshes our emotional state. It revitalizes our bodies. And it increases our productivity. Check this. We live in a society that puts a high value on achievement and not much on rest. There's ongoing pressure to do more with less. Find the shortcut to get more done. People brag not about how much sleep they're getting, but about how much they're missing. Hey, do you know how much sleep I missed last night? 
And it's as if it's a badge that we walk around with and it's cool. Yeah, man, I only got this amount of sleep. Man, what about you? What if the best thing you could do to increase productivity and maximize your time was to get the right amount of sleep? One Christian leader that I follow has said this, Kerry Newhoff. Today, I don't cheat sleep anymore. In fact, I believe getting a full night's sleep and even taking naps, ready, John Ready, if you don't know how to take naps, go see John Ready. He's like our master nap taker. To maximize productivity, not as a slothfulness, laziness thing. And even taking naps is a secret weapon most leaders missed. You think more clearly and are simply nicer to be around when you're rested. Everyone is. And those are two key characteristics of effective leaders. Everyone will ask you to stay up later and get things done. Don't. Go to bed on time. You'll actually get more done, refreshed and alive in the morning. So I conclude with this. Prioritize sleep and rest. For some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do today is to go home and to evaluate your rhythms of sleep and adjust to a healthy lifestyle of rest. I don't come up with these numbers, but the National Institute of Health suggests that school-aged children need at least 10 hours of daily sleep. Teens need 9 to 10 hours, and adults need 7 to 8 hours. Don't hit me. Don't hate on me. I'm just saying this is what, what's being offered here. So in order to prioritize daily sleep, let me ask you, what's got to change in your life? You're probably going to have to do some managing of your time. Maybe it's this. Is it eliminating some time wasters? Is it putting your phone away? Practicing digital detox? What about cutting the TV off? Or going to bed on time? In fact, one of the best encouragements if you wanted some advice on sleep would be to set a, a consistent bedtime and to stick to it so that your, your body is on a healthy, regular rhythm of sleep and rest. Go to bed at the same time each night and rise at the same time in the morning. Another suggestion, avoid large meals right before going to bed. And this probably makes sense, but avoid caffeine in late hours of the night close to bedtime. Let me just offer one caveat. Sleep's not going to look the same for everyone. I know there are certain jobs. My brother-in-law is an emergency vet. You know the hours he works? He works when the normal veterinary offices aren't open. Late at night. And he has a family with kids. You know what? There's probably going to just be some ongoing challenges that he has as he, as he thinks and wrestles through. What does it look like for him to steward and manage his sleep? Well, I get that. New moms. Yesterday, Michelle Plackey gave birth to their little boy. Man, I'm so excited to meet him. She's probably going to wrestle with some of these tensions. And you know what? God might even at times call us to sacrifice sleep, just like he calls us to sacrifice food, fasting. So, with those caveats, the general tone, though, should be sleep isn't something we're working around. Sleep displays our trust in God, our resting in God. So look for ways to build in daily, weekly, 
and annual rhythms of, of rest and work. I would even say, spend all your vacation time. Spend it. It's there. Spend it. Get rest. That's what it's for. I know we've covered a lot today. The restless find rest in Jesus. I know Caribou Coffee says, time is short. Stay awake. Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for your word. God, would you give us clarity and wisdom for what it looks like to obey you, to trust in you, to rest in you. God, when we're laying in our beds at night and our minds are just swirling, God, would you help us to come to you, to cry out to you, to pray to you that you would grant us physical rest and spiritual rest. God, satisfy us. Would you take away our restlessness and grant us rest? I pray in Christ's name. Amen.